0: You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. We're looking at the life of Judas. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody you love? Raise your hand. Don't elbow the person next to you. Okay. Um, When someone betrays you, it breaks trust. And trust is earned if you believe that, say amen. You don't just freely trust people, okay? Uh, Just ask the police officers. They'll tell you. Um, You freely love people, and you can love all people, but loving somebody doesn't mean you have to trust them. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, it actually meant uh, there's there's a couple of different words for the word love. Um, Jesus was saying like it's a divine love, like you love them like the way God would, like God loves people. Um, Betrayal is painful. I want to share with you a story about betrayal. I heard a story about a traveling salesman who despite being married with kids, he fell into a life of secrecy and deceit. The man believed the lie from the enemy, and he told himself that he had had a really hard life, and his wife would never truly understand. So in order to deal with his pain, he decided to have affairs, to numb that pain. Not with one woman, but with many over many years. He was a living lie, this guy was. And the, one day, the worst scenario happened. Um, his son knew he was in a particular town, and a particular hotel, and he shows up uninvited, unannounced, and he catches his father in the act. Um, the scene is devastating. It's seared into the boy's mind. And at first, the dad pulls him aside and he says something like, You'll, you don't understand right now, but maybe one day you will. You and, you and your mother just, you won't understand. And with tears in his eyes, the son just stares at him with shock and horror and stunned there in the silence. While his father tries to justify himself and downplay his actions, Instead of dealing with it, he deflects. The father actually gets on to the boy and tells him that he had no business showing up at his hotel. Then he offers some cheap apology, but then he tells him to shut his mouth and to keep the secret. The boy leaves brokenhearted. He literally falls to the ground in the parking lot. He's sobbing and shivering. Tears are streaming down his face and he's in agony. And he realizes for the first time in his life that his dad is a liar. His dad is a hypocrite. His dad is a master manipulator, and he cannot be trusted. What is that? That's betrayal. That boy loved that man more than anybody else on the planet, and he experienced betrayal. That uh, You know and I know it takes a long time to build trust, but you can lose it in a moment, Right? Let's pray. Lord, as we look at Your Word today and see the pain and hurt that comes along with betrayal, we ask for an extra measure of Your presence to strengthen us, to guide us in the way of truth and grace. Would You guide us? Would You govern us? Would You protect us? Would You bless us? In this time of learning, in the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. What is betrayal? Uh, in a definition, I think a very simple definition would be is betrayal is a simple violation of trust. Somebody breaks your trust. Somebody that you should be able to trust, they break it. That's betrayal. Um, betrayal happens when somebody acts in a manner that's disloyal or deceptive. they, they hurt you. Now, if you 've ever been betrayed, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know the pain of betrayal. Over the last twenty years of ministry, I've seen betrayal. I remember um, one pastor in particular, whom I was working under. He had a secret life, and it devastated me when that came and uh, out and was exposed. Um, I learned early on that um, betrayal is in the church. It's in the world. It's in the business. It's everywhere. But the most common form of betrayal that I see around in our culture, and in our church, in our businesses, in the world around us is gossip. Gossip is the most common form of betrayal. It's spreading information or having conversations with other people about private details that they have no business talking about. And I want to give you, just for for a moment, I want to empower you to help put an end to this kind of betrayal and pain that can happen and empower you, deputize you for a moment as a pastor to the congregation that you can help stop betrayal by pulling out your gossip gun. And what I mean by that is you can shut or shoot down gossip, which is a form of betrayal when you encounter the gossipers. And by the way, gossipers usually like to travel in packs they become the gossip gangs, and they will secretly meet up and have conversations with you at work, at different places, your family. Have you ever felt this before? It's like when they meet with you, they say something like this, and you're like, what? Hey, we've been talking. Hey, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, we think this. You're like, why didn't you come talk to me rather than talk about me? Amen. Anybody ever been there before? So how do you you, use your gossip gun? I think you say something along the lines of wait, 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 time out. Before we go any further in this conversation, I just have a question for you. Have you talked to that person about this? If they're talking about somebody else, you can stop them. You can pull out your gossip gun and say, hey, have you had a conversation about that with that person? Or you might say, would it be okay if I can share what you're sharing with me about that person? And that oftentimes that'll put an end to it. Another thing you could say is, are are you okay uh, if I tell the person what you've told me? Or you might say, if you need help talking to that person, I'd be glad to go with you and have that conversation. My point in saying this is that we've all been betrayed. Um, we've been betrayed at work, we've been betrayed by public leaders, we've been betrayed by uh, folks perhaps in the church or in schools, we've been betrayed by people in our homes, we've been betrayed by friends. Um, I think there's betrayal that's really, it's everywhere. Um, Some of you perhaps as a Christian, you've felt the experience of betrayal of family and friends, especially over these last few years. What happened was in the influx of anti-Christian ideas and an anti-Christian culture increasing is believers have experienced as they take stands for what they believe is right concerning a certain issue, they lose friends. And so maybe over the last few years, you decided to take a stand and speak up about your pro-life position. And what happened? All of a sudden, you lost a friend because you said something on Facebook which is your freedom to speak up and say what you want. Um, Maybe you took an action and you said something about the indoctrination within the educational system, and all of a sudden you feel like you're losing friends or you're creating some tension in that. Maybe you spoke up about radical ideologies of wokeism that's present in our society. Maybe you pointed out the absurdity of gender identity. Maybe you you spoke up about the over-sexualization of our kids. Maybe you decided to take a stand and you said, I don't, for me personally, I I don't want to get the vaccine. And guess what happened? As a result, people started talking about you, mocking you, pointing you out to be a bigot, uh, and you lost friends over that. Maybe you decided to boycott some particular company when you felt like they crossed the, the line. Some of you, I mean, it's all over our culture right now, and people feel betrayed. Uh, Think about our Bud Light drinkers, our light beer drinkers. I've always tried to warn guys against light beer, you know. They do better with a strong IPA. But the, the, the Bud Light, it all of a sudden, now it's got a rainbow on it. And guess what? The Bud Light drinkers are mad. Or take Target, for example. They stir up trouble. Now all of a sudden, now, I thought we were just selling products. Why are we weaving in an agenda? Or how about your Disney lovers? They feel betrayed, so many of them. Why is every show now got a, an agenda in it? A- am I alone? Anybody say amen? amen? It's frustrating and you feel betrayed at all sorts of different levels. And so what I want to encourage you to realize is that you're not alone. Betrayal is everywhere and as a result of standing up or speaking up or acting upon your convictions, as long as those are biblically based and you do it in a manner of grace and truth, man, people ought to hang with you. You've got to find the common ground. When you act on your convictions, you might have felt over the last couple of years that you've been cut down. You were cut off. You got canceled. You got silenced. You got ghosted. You got blocked. What happened? You got betrayed. Um, so why do people betray? They betray because sin has entered the world. That's why. At the end of the day, betrayal is a result of sin. It spread like a virus and and infected and affected everything, all of human nature. Even as Christians, you are capable of great good, and you're also capable of great evil. You still struggle with sin as a believer. According to the Bible, betrayal is sin it violates the Eighth Commandment, the Ninth Commandment, the Tenth Commandment. It violates the idea of Jesus' golden rule, do whatever, uh, whatever you, how you treat people, that's how you, you'll be treated. It violates the idea of covenant, it violates the idea of commitments. It violates the idea of betrayal. It violates the idea of loving your neighbor. It violates so many different areas, betrayal, is sin. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the ultimate betrayer in all of world history, and his name is Judas. Um, Just so you know, you'll never likely hear an entire sermon dedicated on such a person. Um, No one preaches on Judas. No one names their baby Judas. Uh, Nobody likes the name Judas in a metaphorical sense. He's the ultimate example of a traitor, a betrayer. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And so today, what we're going to do, we're going back to John chapter 13. Um, last week, we looked at, in the weeks past, we've looked at the good example of Jesus Christ, His servant leadership. Now we're going to study the bad example. We're going to look evil in the eye. And I've said it before, in, in, as a Christian today, if you do not know um, If you do not know what is evil, then it's hard for you to know what is good. Amen? So you have to… The problem is today is that we say what is wrong is right, and we're normalizing deviancy and and wrongdoing. And so you as a believer, you got to know what is good and you got to know what is bad. And so I think it's important for us to slow down and look at the life of Judas uh, today. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look evil in the eye So let me help you create the context for those of you that are new and understanding kind of like where we're at in the storyline. It's the last week of Jesus's life. Um, This is… He will be going to the cross uh, the very next night. But let me remind you of the process of what's happened. Jesus has traveled into Jerusalem. He came on Sunday. That is Palm Sunday. He came on, and it's called the triumphal entry. He and his disciples show up to Jerusalem, It's Passover season, and all the crowd is yelling, "Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest!" And what they're saying is, "You're the deliverer. You can rescue us from wrong. Uh, we like you. But five days from that Sunday, they're going to turn around, and that crowd is going to yell, "What? Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him." That's Sunday, Monday turns around. And on Monday, Jesus goes into the temple. He braids a whip. He starts overthrowing tables. It's a ruckus for the disciples. It's action-packed. Jesus is going in, driving out all the corruption in the temple. That's Monday. Tuesday, Jesus gets into another conflict with religious leaders and they, that were seeking to stir up trouble and arrest him. And then finally, Wednesday comes. And Wednesday is like a rest day. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us what happens on Wednesday. The details are recorded in Matthew 21 uh, through 26. But what what we do know, or 25, but what we do know is that nothing is recorded. Maybe it was a rest day. They're, They're hanging out, prayer, Bible study, food, fellowship. And then Thursday. Thursday is the Last Supper. It's the upper room. All of His disciples are there. Jesus is teaching on servant leadership. He's teaching about communion. He's teaching many valuable lessons. Who's all there? Simon, Peter's there. James, John, the son, uh, James and John, these are the sons of thunder. They've got Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then you have Judas. He's always at the end of the list, too. Um, When the disciples, um, the disciple John wrote his gospel, it would have been after the fact, after the events of all this transpiring. So John is writing with a reflection upon the events that occurred with Judas. Jesus had walked with them, talked with them three years. These disciples have been with them. He's offered them all sorts of learning and experiences. And so let's look at John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. Jesus has talked about salvation. Look in your Bible, open it up if you will. Um, John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30, Jesus has talked about salvation. He's talked about cleansing and forgiveness and experiencing salvation. And He uh, demonstrated something with foot washing. And then He talks about those that are clean. And He tells Peter, you're clean. You don't need your whole body washed. You don't need salvation. You just need your feet washed. But then in verse 18, He says something that really changes the mood. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. They're like, what? He says, I know whom I I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me what's he talking about? He was speaking about Psalms nine. He was quoting that when it refers to King David and his betrayer, a trusted companion who would later go out, betray David, and then he would, as a result, go hang himself in his remorse. Very prophetic. Jesus is giving a prediction. He's predicting what would happen. He's fulfilling prophecy. This betrayal was, was a prophecy that Jesus would uh, be fulfilling and Judas would be fulfilling we see a prediction. Verse 19, you see the purpose. Verse 19, it says this, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you you may, help me out, what? Believe. Let's try that again. That you may believe. believe." That is the mega theme. That is the purpose of John's gospel. Um, John slowed it down He does more justice to the upper room discourse than any other gospel writer. Um, He's highlighting that Jesus had given the prophecy. He's highlighting that all this is for a purpose that they may believe. But he doesn't leave them there. He goes to verse 20. Let's look what it says. There's a promise, it's the promise. Verse 20, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Look back at that passage for a moment. Whoever receives the one I send, who's the sent ones? It is the disciples. Receives me, who is the me? That is Jesus. Whoever receives me, that is, Jesus receives the one who sent me. Who sent Jesus? God the what? The Father. Amen? So, what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, in essence, what he's saying is G- Jesus is promising um, that if people are going to receive you, they're receiving me. You're coming with a an incredible anointing, an incredible appointing. You have… Um, You have God's favor and blessing upon you, and if they're rejecting you, they're really rejecting me because you are a representation of me. You are an extension of me. You have apostolic authority. It is a big deal. These are the builders of the church. There is no church without these guys that are in the room. That is the promise, and John chapter 14 will tell you later about the promised Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be with them, and you read in Acts chapter 1, and the, the promised Holy Spirit shows up and empowers these men to go plant these churches. So Jesus gives them a promise, but then we see verse 21, the pain that comes with this. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and testified truly Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That's the mic drop. That's the point in which now there's going to be some confusion because you know the disciples are like, no, 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 who's this going to be? Who's the one that's going to betray you? And just without looking at the Scripture for a moment, out of naming, let me just give you a multiple choice. Peter, James, and John, who do you think it is that's going to be like, hey, (laughs) who is… let's figure out who this bad guy is. Peter, James, or John? Peter, you got it. But let's look at the problem. This, This troubling is a big deal. It's deeply disturbed, severe stress. This is the kind of stress and trouble that could cause a riot. Verse 22, let's see the problem. And closing out to verse 30. the Disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke The disciples ask, in a sense, Lord, who is it? Verse 23, let's look. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved, that was John, was reclining at the… at table at Jesus' side. So, Simon Peter motioned to him, that's John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So, let me pause real quick for that. So, basically, it's… John's the closest, the nearest and dearest. He's leaning up against Jesus. And then it says that Peter motions to him like, John, ask him a question. Here it is. Verse 25, whom was he speaking? Or verse 24, whom was he speaking? Verse 25, so that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? They want to know. Who is it? Um, there's confusion because nobody was suspecting anybody in the group would betray. Verse 26, Jesus answered, it is to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. When Jesus gave the morsel of bread to Judas, it still created confusion amongst the disciples. Because culturally speaking, when you were to do that that would have been an act of honor. It's like if you have a bunch of people over to your house and you're gonna show them like some courtesy and hospitality, right? Say you pull out the nicest bottle of red wine that you have, you don't open the bottle in front of them and be like, man, pour it for yourself and go, this is so good. What do you do? You go to your guest. Is this what you would like? Do you like this? This is for you. You're our honored guest. There was confusion because Jesus does this act of honor to Judas. Doing this was a special sign of friendship. We don't know exactly why Jesus would start with Judas to do this, but he does. Maybe it would be a slap in the face to him because later um, Judas is going to do some pretty weird things. He's going to, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to go up to Jesus to identify to the soldiers who it is that is Jesus the Christ and he'll show him a sign of respect and kiss him on the cheek. That was supposed to be respect, but really, Judas is going to use it to identify him so he'll be arrested and crucified. Um, Some people have said when Jesus offered him this morsel of bread, maybe it's grace and forgiveness that Jesus was extending. Um, Personally, I think what could be going on here is that Jesus is trying to slow down Peter. Peter. Uh, The disciples, some of them carried swords. And there's also Simon the Zealot in the group. And if, here's what happened. If Jesus would have exposed who the traitor was in that room, right? With some pretty uh, radically committed disciples, what do you think would have happened? It's him. What What would happen? Would it not turn into a circus in there? Oh, it's you. How dare you? I could see Peter just going, whack, whack, whack. I mean, Peter, within 24 hours, he's going to pull out a sword at the Garden of Gethsemane and just whack off a guy's ear with a sword, right? So, perhaps Jesus is keeping it a little confusing to kind of keep things in a divine step. He says, whatever you're going to do, what you're going to do, you do it quickly. Why is that? Because there's a divine timetable to fulfill. The Scripture must be fulfilled. That's what… Was said earlier, the scripture must be fulfilled. And so I think what's happening is there's this confusion so that the plans might unfold because on Friday night, when everybody's gathered in their homes having that Passover lamb and rem- reminding themselves of the deliverance of God and the provision of God over the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be hanging on the cross for the whole sins of the world. And it all happened, had to happen with divine order and step. The disciples didn't see this coming. It was confusion. Look at verse 30. The darkness sets in. The Scripture says, John highlights this, probably metaphorically. He uses a lot of uh, verbiage to describe light and darkness, if you studied any of John's writings. Um, He says, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. That was Judas. Darkness is swept across the land. Evil is on the loose. Judas will betray Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, He will have Jesus arrested. He will have Jesus... Boy, there's a lot of... That Red Bull got to me a little bit. (laughs) Uh, he will see to it that Jesus is crucified. Uh, Warning signs, understanding six warning signs of betrayal for you and for me. This is the most practical section of the preaching of the sermon. Um, You need to know people will betray you. Not everybody you meet you can trust. Not every believer that you encounter is a true believer. Judas looked like a believer, he smelled like a believer, he walked like a believer, he acted like a believer, everybody bought in. Um, Warning signs, when you drive on the highway, or maybe you've looked at your phone recently, there's been excessive heat, what? Warnings. It's there to protect you, it's there to help you. When there's monsoons, you see flash what? Flash floods. And you see the guy who tries to brave the wash in a Prius. You're like, you should have had a Tundra, buddy. And the helicopters zoom over. (laughs) And the guy's spinning down the wash. And you're like, really? Um, The warning signs are there for you. The accident on the road, the construction. Those are warning signs. They're on the roads. They're on your radio. They're on your phones. I'm going to give you six warning signs uh, for betrayal. I chose the number six because I found six. I chose the number six because it's used to identify the devil. It's used to identify the devil's workers. Um, The number seven is used to identify God in the Bible. It's used to identify God's uh, people. But six is reserved for Satan. And everything Judas does is satanic. And it's absolutely satanic, and so I'm going to show you uh, six warning signs. Number one, this is f- practical insight about the life of Judas. Lessons learned. Warning sign number one: You need to know betrayers are the pretenders; they will pretend. I had a woman right after the first service, and she said, "I can't tell you how when you were preaching through that, I knew somebody that was supposed to be trusted and in a very high, powerful position." and the guy was the perfect pretender. He was an absolute pretender, uh, and he betrayed our trust. Judas uh, pretended to care for the poor. In John's gospel, you might remember when Mary's anointing the feet of Jesus, Judas is the one who objects and says, whoa, 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 whoa hold up. <laughs> we could have sold that, and we could have used it to minister to the poor. And the other disciples were like, hmm, that would have been a good idea. What was Judas doing? He was pretending. He was pretending to care for the poor. But if you read in John's gospel, John goes back in his memory bank and goes, he was doing that because he's a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and he's a liar. He's a, he's a thief. They pretend. They, pretenders will act like they're loyal, but they're truly disloyal. Judas is sitting around the table on the last supper and he never speaks up and says, well, yeah, um... Yeah, man. He's kind of probably just sitting there probably like, yeah, I don't know who's going to betray him. You know, man, is it you, Peter? Peter's probably thinking, I don't know who it is, but I'm going to get him. He's pretending to be loyal. Betrayers are pretenders. They pretend also to respect you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas walks out And he kisses Jesus on the cheek to identify to the soldiers, the guys with the clubs, the guys with the swords that are there to arrest Jesus. He goes out and he told him ahead of time, I'm going to kiss the guy on the cheek. And guess what that meant? That was a sign of respect. And so what he does is kisses Christ on the cheek and then the Lord turns around and says, you betray the son of man with a kiss. You, You act like you respect me. You're a liar. You need to know that betrayers are pretenders. They will pretend. They're fakes. They're phonies. They put on a facade. They say the right words. They act compassionate. They're dangerous people. They can look. They can act amazing. And here's what I've learned the more talented the individual is, the more gifted, the more uh, handsome or attractive they are, the more we can be fooled. Judas got all his cues from the devil. If you think about it, it's very demonic. The devil is the pretender; he disguises himself as a serpent and approaches Eve's with deceptive words. He pretends to care for their well-being, and then he turns it on them. Or think about the the devil in the pretending to offer Jesus say power and authority and worldly possessions at the temptation of the wilderness. Or think about the devil, the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, that angels can parade themselves like um, an angel of light. Sometimes you will not see this coming. I think of uh, during the tribulation, the Antichrist will pretend to be the Savior of the world. This person will perform false signs and wonders and deceiving people with all kinds of unrighteous deception, leading them astray from the truth, according to 2 Thessalonians. Judas got all his cues from the devil. Warning sign number two, betrayers are master manipulators. Have you ever been manipulated? Betrayers are master manipulators. Um, Judas is manipulating every situation. In the incident with Mary and uh, Martha and Lazarus, he's manipulating the situation. He's uh, criticizing Mary for being generous, and then he makes himself out like he's the charitable one. That he's gonna really care for the poor, but he really doesn't. Um, They're deceptive. They exploit vulnerabilities. Um, Betrayers will take sight on insecurities and they will exploit them. They wanna seek maximum damage, hoping to defame or cause disunity and destruction. Oftentimes, master manipulators will misuse information, they'll take a selective piece of information and then use it. Against the individual. Whether it be true or false, they'll misuse information in the, in the con- in a, out of context and manipulate their situation. Warning sign number three, betrayers are loyal to no one. The only person that Judas was loyal to was really to himself. What happens with a betrayer is that they will betray their family, they will betray their friends, they will betray their uh, uh, co-workers, their boss… At the end of the day, why? Because of sin, and guess what else? They're self-infatuated. What they want is more important than whatever the consequence is. Um, Betrayers, warning sign number three, uh, betrayers are loyal to no one. Uh, Judas is not loyal to the disciples. Judas is not loyal to Jesus. Uh, Judas is disloyal. Warning sign number four, betrayers are mentally and emotionally unstable. If you have friends that are mentally or emotionally unstable and they're not getting help, be very aware. Um, How is that illustrated in the life of Judas? Well, in one instant, he's pretending for a very long time to be very charitable, very kind. He's following Jesus for literally three years. He's hanging out with them. He's doing all sorts of stuff, acting like a real genuine disciple. But early on, if you look in the gospel accounts, they're exposing, the gospel writers are exposing Jesus that basically he was a deceiver from the beginning. Like he was, he was disloyal on the front end. Some people say, well, how, why was he? I think Judas maybe was a nationalist to the nation of Israel. He wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome And when he saw that things were not working correctly, he gets crazy. Um, That could explain some of his remorse. He does this. He he uh, he's mentally and emotionally unstable. One minute he's pretending they have this very close relationship. The next thing you know, he goes out and he makes a deal with chief priests and sells Jesus out. And then in Matthew's gospel, it goes on to say that he turns around and he realizes what he, he's done. He goes back to the chief priest. He takes the money. He throws it into the temple and tells the chief priest, hey, I've got innocent blood. This man is, uh, I'm sorry, I, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. They say to him, what is it to us? See it. See to it yourself. He throws down the money. Then he departs and the scripture tells us he goes out and he hangs himself. If you've ever experienced a suicide um, from a friend or a family member, it's incredibly painful. That was the most selfish thing he could have done. Very painful. Um, What sent Judas to hell was not his hanging, was not his suicide. What sent uh, Judas to hell was his disbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ. Number five, betrayers behave in secrecy and dishonesty. Um, He was incredibly secretive, very dishonest. Uh, He hid his true intentions from the disciples. Um, He made a secret deal with the chief priests. He was constantly engaged in secretive, dishonest work. Frequently, betrayers are operating with deep levels of secrecy. They're evasive. Um, They're undercover. They're They're covert. Um, they're not overt in their operations. They're under the radar. Warning sign number six, betrayers fail to take responsibility. Uh, Judas did not take responsibility. Some of you may say, oh, yes, he did. He took the money back. No, he went to the wrong person. Uh, Who did he truly uh, break trust with? Jesus and the what? Disciples. Jesus shows uh, uh, Judas shows remorse, but he doesn't show true repentance. Uh, Judas fails to take responsibilities for his actions. He returns the money, but he never returns to the Messiah. Um, That's the one who could forgive. Um, Betrayers won't take responsibility. They'll put on a show, but they're not sincere. It's remorse, but it's not repentance. Repentance. Um, Additionally, Judas fails to take responsibility for his actions. Instead of reconciliation, Judas chose desolation. What do I mean by that? Well, he could have gone to seek reconciliation with Jesus and his disciples, but instead he chooses desolation, which is this state of utter despair and abandonment. And the tragic outcome is Judas will go and he'll take his life because he chose desolation over reconciliation. Instead of restitution, um, which restitution would be is that you're seeking to make amends and pay up or make things right. Like, for example, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, when he was confronted about his false dealings, he repents, and then he goes back and pays back all those that did wrong against him, or that he did wrong against them, pays him four times over. Um, Judas didn't do any restitution. He chose retribution. He sought a punishment uh, or recompense for his own actions. Judas chooses to literally inflict harm and vengeance upon himself. He does again the devil's work. Again, he killed himself. The devil has come to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. Clearly, Judas failed to take responsibility. He turned not he turned to money, not the Messiah. He chose desolation instead of reconciliation. He chose retribution instead of restitution. His evil to me, and I assume for you, is evident. Uh, His name will go down in history and around the world as the traitor, the betrayer, the liar, the deceiver. There's a story I'd like to share with you in our closing time together. It's a story, uh, I think it's a very powerful illustration, and it's a warning for you. Um, it's called the Judas Goat. Uh, for those of you that perhaps grew up on farms or ranches uh, with sheep, um, then you might be familiar with this. And just by the way, Arizona's got some very large sheep ranches around here. And I've traveled to different areas. There's a place called Sheep's Bridge, and there's all these wonderful, really cool stories about sheep and uh, throughout Arizona and ranching them. And this idea of Judas Goat is a real. Um, illustration of what happens on these ranches. Um, Typically, the rancher will pick out, in order to help the sheep cooperate, not only a sheepdog, but uh, what they'll call the Judas goat. Um, The Judas goat is the name of an actual goat that ranchers assign, and these goats are trained to work at slaughterhouses. Uh, The process kind of goes as follows. In the case of the sheep, the goat is trained to associate and become very familiar with the sheep in the field. The goat goes out in the field, eats with them, lies down with them, and generally gaining their trust. After many, many months, the season arrives for leading the sheep into the slaughterhouse. And guess who leads them? After the stockyards open, the sheep is, in an innocent manner, will just follow this Judas goat, especially into Mark, or back into trucks, or in some instances into the slaughterhouse itself. The outcome for the goat differs from the sheep because the goat leads an entire flock into the slaughter, and the special gate is prepared and opened only for the goat, enabling the goat to escape the final gate that leads to the others to their death. The goat will escape the slaughter, returning to the field, and then once again the goat will start this deceptive process again and again with a new flock of sheep. The Bible says that the church is like sheep. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Um, As a believer, you need to know, you need to be very aware that you can be prone to follow a Judas. Um, Not every believer is a true believer. Um, Some believers are the deceivers. The moral of the story is, is that uh, if you're not careful, you can blindly follow along and believe when you don't need to. Your trust should be earned. Your trust, trust should be earned. You protect your kids. You protect your family. You have a role. You protect yourself because the Bible says you should love others as you love what? Yourself. If you love yourself, you can love others. If you do not love yourself, you will not protect yourself, and you will blindly be deceived by people. Um, be a protector. Um, be wise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you grant wisdom and discernment right from wrong. Discerning minds for deception. Give us the insights to discern. Um, believers from deceivers, protecting us from the devil's scheme, any works or assignments that may be set against us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. We ask for your protection. We ask for your blessing over our lives. We pray, uh, Lord, for the marriages, for the families. We pray for the businesses, and especially we pray for the church. Lord, for your protection and your blessing over these kinds of deceits and betrayal that occur. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.